Roshtuni Radio presents The Cure of Souls Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Roshtuni Narrated by Nathan F. Conkey Produced with permission by the Chalcedon Foundation 48. Confession as Government At about the year 1936, I reacted very negatively to the confessional of the Roman Catholic Church because of my sister's experience working as a clerk at a five and ten cent store. Except for herself, all the seal girls were Catholics. The manager was Jewish. The other girls routinely stole small items and could not understand why my sister refused to do it. All you have to do is to confess it and it's all right, they told her. Yes, observed someone listening to my sister. Say a few Hail Marys and it supposedly clears your record. I was offended at this trivialising of the faith and confession. About a year later, I was enrolled in a class of twenty on Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. The professor was a renowned Chaucerian scholar. Among the students were two nuns in habits who at times chatted with me because my perspective they recognised as Christian. I do not recall what the professor said about confession that left the sisters shaking their heads as they discussed it with me later. They made it clear that he was ignorant on the subject. As they called attention to his misconceptions, they made clear that they knew from historical studies and present practice in the convent what confession is about. I remember only one statement they made. Confession and the confessor made peace between God and man and between one person and another. Their talk made me realise something I had never thought of before. A constant problem in Protestant churches is quarrelling women. Even St Paul had to deal with this problem and had to write to the Philippians beseeching two women to, quote, be of the same mind in the Lord, end quote, Philippians 4.2. It occurred to me that a convent full of women would be a potentially stormy place, however strict the discipline. The resentments and disagreements would be there. A good confessor would be truly a peacemaker, and to be a confessor to nuns would require a wise and patient priest. The nuns did not use the word, but I recognise that confession is a form of government. The responses of a good confessor would be corrective, humbling and governmental. Not only an abbess governs a convent, The confessor does also. As I write this, I recall a long life of many prayers of confession. Not as many as there should have been, no doubt, but many. A confession is of sin and also of burdens. It is a plea for government. In Psalm 51, we have David's great confessional prayer. He prays not only for mercy and forgiveness, but also for a clean heart and an inward renewal. He asks to be restored in the joy of salvation and to be upheld by the Lord. Having been a transgressor, he wants the blessing of God to enable him to teach other transgressors. All this and more is in David's confessional prayer. He asks for peace with God, the government of God over him and in him, and the power to become effectual in God's service. 
That confession to a priest or pastor has been abused and perverted is an obvious fact. In a fallen world, what has not been twisted into evil? The Fourth Lateran Council, AD 1215, required confession to a priest once a year by all believers under penalty of excommunication. This step has been offensive to Protestants on the ground that the prerogatives of God cannot be given to men or to the church. To require confession is to place very great powers of government in the hands of men and the church. For Protestants, confession to God is a necessity and confession to another believer or to a pastor is an option, but not a law. The purpose of the Fourth Lateran Council was, quote, a massive and varied endeavour to save the souls of men through instruction and confession, end quote. There is no doubt that this step greatly advanced the impact of the faith in the life of men then and for centuries to come. The question remains, however, was it biblically valid? And was the impact in the long run a sound one? On both counts, the conclusion is that it was not. Confession is a form of government, a very powerful one. In the 20th century, humanistic confessions have created a great dependency on the psychotherapists, often a dangerous one, and the governing power has been a serious one. Confession did not originate with biblical religion. It existed in Assyrio-Babylonian cultures, but the emphasis seems to have been on ritual acts more than a moral transformation. If we be as daily or twice a day, we do not thereby increase our ability to stay clean. The ritual of confession may well leave the inner man unchanged, as it did in pagan antiquity. Confession in the church always runs the same risk. James Bakey called Egyptian confession as a form something radically lacking any acknowledgement of sin or repentance for it. It was rather a formal repudiation of sin, not a repentance for it. This is the very substantial danger of mandatory confession in the church. It replaces true repentance with ritual and a cleansed heart with a conventional submission. The person is then governed, not changed. The goal becomes a pattern of church rites and not regeneration. In the early church, liturgical confession prevailed widely. For example, the Mozarabic rite contains this prayer. Quote, we bear, O Lord, the yoke of our iniquities with a hard neck, a downcast countenance, a contrite heart, and scarcely have we learned by our punishment to repent, who before it would not recognise our guilt. But thou, O Lord, who hast made tame wild beasts in the den, and hast made cool the flames in the heat of the furnace, lift up thy hand to help us, and grant us the most safe support of thy defence in affliction, that us, whom the weight of sins bow down, the virtue of thy long-suffering may lift up, and that, since by our iniquities we have fallen to the ground, we may be mercifully raised by thy ineffable goodness, that us, whom the actions of diverse transgressions convict, 
the indulgence of thy mercy may acquit. End quote. With Calvin and Knox, a general confession was made by the pastor, but even more, the stress was on the redeemed and forgiven man going forth in the power of the Lord. Near the conclusion of a prayer in the Church of Scotland, written by John Knox, we read, quote, Let not the enemies of thy truth do miserably oppress thy word and thy servants which seek thy glory. Tender regard with kindness, the advancement of thy pure religion, and above all things wish in their heart that thy holy name alone may be glorified among all nations. Give unto the mouth of thy people truth and wisdom which no man may resist. And although we have most justly deserved this plague and famine of thy word, yet upon our true repentance grant, we beseech thee, we may be thereof released. And here we promise before thy divine majesty better to use thy gifts than we have done, and more straightly to order our lives according to thy holy will and pleasure. And we will sing perpetual praises to thy most blessed name, world without end, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. End quote. Knox takes us into a different world. The focus is not so much on the person as on the faith, and the goal is victory. His is a post-millennial confession. Quote, Give unto the mouth of thy people truth and wisdom which no man may resist. End quote. Not surprisingly, the Reformation began to stress confessions of faith and catechisms. Well done for listening all the way to the end. This is Nathan, the narrator, speaking to you from Puebla, Mexico, from the Faith for All of Life school in which I teach English as a volunteer. I teach from kinder through high school. Now, I rely on donations in order to keep teaching and recording, so if you want to support a Faith for All of Life school in Latin America, and want to keep listening to Rush Dooney while you vacuum, drive or cook, commute or whatever you're doing right now, donate at cten.org forward slash Nathan Conkey. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-N-K-E-Y, all lowercase. Or if you prefer PayPal, paypal.me forward slash capital N Nathan capital C Conkey. You can also email me at nfconkey, that's nfconkey at gmail.com. Thanks, and I look forward to speaking to you very soon.